Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, even as I see these verses, I'm just thankful for the fact that just by evidence of us being here, that you revealed yourself to us. And so the areas where we still have a confusion or lack of clarity, Lord, I pray that you just be with Ryan's message today, that get him out of the way. Uh, make it clear to us and speak to us so that we can change different, leave differently, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we kind of come to a point of c- conclusion with Colossians here, uh, I, I want to just share with you a, a, a striking statistic that, that's a quote um, that I read, uh, I guess, probably about four or five weeks ago. Have you, have you ever read a quote that just kind of grabbed your attention or a statistic that you're like, man, that cannot be true? That's one of these for me. So let me read it to you, and then uh, we'll unpack this a little bit more. Uh, this is this, uh, but, but new research from the Barna Group offers some disappointing news regarding the 20-somethings and 30-somethings who are now on deck to carry on the faith. Nearly half, 47%, of practicing Christian millennials now these are churchgoers who consider religion an important part of their lives, believe that evangelism is wrong. You're sensing um, the seriousness of this. And, and the reason why I want to delve into this, because Paul takes us there in the book of Colossians, but the reason I want to delve into this is because uh, the future of the church is at stake. How we view the mission of God and our participation and cooperation with God in advancing His mission affects us very deeply. It affects my children very deeply. It affects, it affects their children's children. It affects the entire world. And so what we want to do today is we want to lean more deeply into this because this is actual legitimate data. It's, it's not just somebody uh, you know, kind of shooting from the hip. These are, these are people that were interviewed that are part of great churches I think that evangelism is not a good thing. And so my question as I read this was this, why? Why is this the case? Why is this? Um, Tim Keller, Pastor Tim Keller, uh, said in a talk that he gave earlier uh, or later in 2018, about six months ago, to a ton of church planners in Chicago, he said this, he said, Christendom as we have known it in the U.S. Uh, is not gone, but it's going away. Christendom, what does he mean? The, the culture that kind of surrounds Christianity. Um, the, the assumptions that we make about the church and, and about our involvement in it. Those things are going away, he says. Now, now he, says, he says this affects us in two ways. The first one is this. Culturally speaking, Christendom produced people who just went to church. You know, whether they were Christian or not, they went to church. And so, because of that, a church's programming could draw people into deeper fellowship where they would have an opportunity to hear the gospel and respond. He says that's, that's going away. The second thing he says is this, is that Christendom also produced 
people with general religious beliefs. So things like moral absolutes, an, an afterlife, knowledge of sin, so on and so forth. And so the church was generally able to evangelize by turning religious people into Christians through the work of the gospel. In other words, it's not about what you do and about these values that you're raised up with, about doing those perfectly. It's about the work of Jesus on your behalf. So the, the, the corporate gathering of the church was an opportunity to see that happen. But, but what he's saying is this, is, is the, the, the million dollar the question for us is, what happens when those dots are no longer there for a culture? What happens when church is no longer something that's attractive to people that are outside? What happens when it's not about getting your value system together after you have children? And, and so a, a church's children's ministry would draw them in. What happens when the dots are no longer there? What do we do? We have to make a pivot. We, we have to make a shift because what's happening in here isn't necessarily attractive or seemingly attractive to folks that are out there. So how the tension of what I'm trying to capture as we're going forward through this text today is this. How can we recapture God's heart as a church for His people throughout the world? Um, and the bottom line is this, is it's not necessarily going to be what happens in here that sees a lot of people come to faith, but it's going to be happen, what happens out there through ordinary, average people who take the Gospel seriously. That, that's what's going to change the world. In fact, in, uh, in the early church, Rodney Starks writes about this, I'm sorry, uh, Michael Green writes about this in a book called Evangelism in the Early Church. He throws a stat out there through some research that he did. He said 90% of the first Christians that came about in the first church were evangelized, or people shared the gospel with them, were people that they already knew. The people that they already knew. I think one of the things that we've got to get past as the people of God, not just generally in New City Church, I think you guys are awesome. I don't want you to be guilted into anything. I don't want you to feel any shame. I just want us to take Jesus and His work seriously. He says it. So what that means for us is that we've got to refuse to hide. We've got to refuse to hide. If Jesus is our life and He's made us new and, and, and we have died and our lives are now hidden with Christ in God, as Colossians 3.3 says, we've got to refuse to hide. We've got to put Jesus out there as He's the most important thing. So the big idea of where we're going today is this. Where Colossians 4 takes us is this. Seeking God's face in prayer teaches our hearts how to live on mission. Let me say it again. Seeking God's face in prayer teaches our hearts how to live on mission. Now, I want you to say this to your neighbor right now. God loves you so much that He wants to use you to build His kingdom. Ready, set, go. Now I want you to say it like you actually mean it, alright? Let's say it again. Say it to your neighbor. God loves you so much that He wants to use you to build His kingdom. That's good. That's good. You all have coffee breath. It's okay. It's okay, alright? Now think about that. Each and every person in this room, each and every person in each and every church throughout the history of the world and the history of the United States and Georgia and everything like that gets to play a part in God's mission of rescuing a lost world. And God seeks to use each and every one of us in very unique ways because you have 
spheres of influence that no one else has. You have people that follow you that don't, you don't even know that follow you. You have so much influence and potential to be used of God in ways that are, that are not necessarily really public and upfront, but are conversational over, over a meal or over, a bre- over the water cooler at work or whatever it would be. What would it look like for us to celebrate this ordinary faithfulness of the mission more? What would it look like for us? So let's dig into what Paul says. First thing is this. He says, he talks about prayer. And then the second thing we're going to look at is this idea of response. Prayer. Prayer is the means of aligning our hearts with God's heart. Let me, let me remind you of Colossians 4, verses 2-3. through 3. He says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer. Now, what he said before this is he's talked about putting on the new self and, and these new character qualities because we're now in Jesus and, and then how that changes our relationship. Like, if you're married, your relationship with your spouse or you know, if you have kids, your relationship with your kids and, and your relationship with your parents and your relationship with your work and, and how we view it all submitted to Jesus. He just said this. So he's saying, he kind of wraps this whole uh, section up by saying, continue to be steadfast in prayer. Be, be watchful in it. Watchful in prayer. Have you ever thought about prayer like that? With thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us. Paul and his companions that were in prison. Pray for us that God may open to us a door to get out of prison. No. That God may open a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account for which I'm in prison, he says. You know, I I don't know if you've ever uh, driven a car that needs an alignment before. My truck needs an alignment right now. Let me me give you a little just vignette of what what it feels like when you're driving it. You're going down 316, and if you let go of the steering wheel, you're going to be in the woods. I mean, that's just kind of what it's like to drive a car that needs an alignment. You just, I mean, you can't let go of that thing, which is good, because it kind of keeps you from texting and driving too, which is kind of a good thing, right? But anyway, you're holding on to that steering wheel, and, uh, and you're, you're, you're just holding on to it because you can't let go of it. Now, what happens when you get an alignment, though, is you take it into the mechanic, uh, and, and basically he loosens all the bolts of the suspension and he sets it true and then he tightens it back up this is exactly what happens when we when we align our hearts with God through prayer uh, it, it lines our hearts up with with God by um, by doing something different than what we typically do typically when we pray what we're trying to do is we're trying to get God's will kind of lined up with our priorities so, so we're trying to say, hey God, here's what I want to do. Can you kind of get behind that and give me the power I need to do it because I can't do it on my own. But, but when you approach God in prayer, as you seek to live on mission, what happens is your heart becomes lined up with God's. Now, there's a verse in Matthew chapter 6 where um, that's very very key verse on prayer. Uh, J- Jesus says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now, sometimes we like to use this verse and we like to say, um, you know, see, God will give me whatever I want, you know. But, but there's a key order of how he phrases how we're supposed to pray. Seek first the kingdom. So seek first the you're getting lined up with him and his will. And then whatever you want to do will be his will because you'll be lined up with him. And, and, and sometimes when we're praying and we're, we're trying to live on God's mission and we're, we're trying to go about this kingdom work, we just feel like we're missing God. We feel like we're not hitting 
the mark. And that's why prayer is, is so important about communing with God. So let's just look at how Paul tells us to pray. He says three things. He says, pray steadfastly, pray watchful, and pray with thanksgiving. So let's look at steadfastly real quick. Sometimes when we think about this word steadfast, uh, we think that the, the, that that word means that all we ever do is always and only pray. And, it, and it's, just, it's just unrealistic, isn't it? I mean, even the most prayerful people I know don't always and only pray. The idea in the Greek language is that, that, it's, that it's more about this idea of something that you keep coming back to. You never really abandon. You, you keep coming back to God in prayer. And so you're, you're going about your life and you're doing things, but you're kind of just always jumping in to this communing with God. You're seeking His face. You're wondering, okay, God, why did that happen today? It doesn't make any sense. Can you help me figure that out? I know what your word says on this, but it's not really lining up in my life right now. Can you help me figure that out? When, when you pray for someone you deeply love for 18 years, and they haven't come to faith in Jesus yet, this is true of me, um, you start to get discouraged, don't you? You start to wonder, God, do you even care? How could this not be your will, God? And you start to have all these questions, and you start to get frustrated. He's saying, in those moments, keep coming to God. Keep wrestling with God. You don't have to assume that God doesn't want to give them new life. But God's will for us is to persist in prayer, to keep going at it. Because the enemy wants us to assume when we pray uh, that there's no one on the other end of the line. And, and the way that he convinces us of that is that he, he shows our desires being unmet. And so what we typically do is we, we draw back and we stop praying because we're tired of praying to, to, to a God that doesn't seem like he's on the other end of the line. But what, what the Holy Spirit wants to lead us into is deeper communion with God through persistence as we steadfastly keep coming back to Him. In fact, one of the best ways to describe prayer in the Bible is this, this story of this persistent widow. This woman who, who is begging God to do something. Basically, she's talking about this, this neighbor. And she's begging God to do something. Banging on the door. What God wants of us in prayer church, especially as it relates to His mission in the world, is to beat down the door of heaven with our prayer. To beat it down. You're not going to wear Him out. He's going to hear it. In fact, as I think about prayer, the, the best model of persistent prayer that I've ever seen is of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you've got a Bible, let's flip over there real quick. It's found in Matthew chapter 26. I'm going to read about 10 verses here because I want you to see God, Jesus, I want you to see Him struggle with His Father in heaven. He's struggling. He keeps coming back to Him because He doesn't, he doesn't seem to be on the same page with Him. And so they're wrestling through it back and forth. And finally, He gets clarity on what God's will is. I think this is what it's like to pray steadfastly. You know, the context of this is that Jesus is getting ready to go on the cross. He's getting ready to be delivered up, sold out by Judas. So this, the Scriptures say this, Matthew 26, starting in verse 36, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. It was His favorite place to pray in Jerusalem. And, and He said to His disciples, sit here. you got to stay over here. And I'm going to go over there and I'm going to pray. And, and taking with Him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, who were James and John, they were kind of the inner three of his disciples, he began to be sorrowful and, 
and troubled. And he, and he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Can you remain here and watch with me? Keyword, watch. Isn't that, what, isn't that what Paul says in Colossians 4? That you can be watchful in prayer. You, you can see things that you can't see otherwise when you're communing with God through prayer. And going a little further, he fell on his face and began praying again. And he says, Father, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You see, his will is not to go to the cross. It's, we see the limited scope of his view. We see his full humanity on display here. It's so beautiful to see him wrestle with his Father in heaven but yet remain completely obedient to His will. Not my will, but yours. And then He comes back to the other disciples and He finds them sleeping. And He said to Peter, so could you not watch with me for one hour, Peter? And He uses this word again, watch and pray. He's not talking about watching for the Roman guards. He's talking about watching for the presence of God. Watch and pray that you not enter into temptation. That's how, that's how you're going to be able to stay out of temptation is to be watchful in prayer. And he says the Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is, is weak. And again for the second time, he went away and prayed. And he says, my Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. You, you see him submitting his desire, his will to his Father through prayer. And again he came and he found them sleeping again for their eyes were heavy. And so leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. See, he wasn't quite convinced the second time he prayed it. You ever been there before? You're like, God, I, there's got to be another way. This diagnosis, this situation, this there's got to be another way. This can't be your will, God. And you, so you go back to him in prayer. You say, are you sure, God? Are you sure this is your plan? Jesus was there. Then He came to back to the disciples. He said, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Our betrayer is at hand. You see, Jesus wrestled with His Father in heaven through prayer. But yet, so many times we give up so early. We give up so early when Jesus calls us to persevere in prayer. See, God's mission was to save us. Jesus thought there was another way in that moment. He said, are you sure, God? Are you sure this is it? But He continued pursuing His Father in heaven. Our, our mission is clear. Um, it's, it's to go make disciples, as Matthew 28, 18-20 uh, says, all authority has been given to me. Jesus says this in the last kind of, kind of marching orders for the church. All authority has been given. Therefore, go and make disciples, not just of Jews, but of all nations, teaching them all that I've commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, and He sends them out with these, with these orders. and It's to go contend for the Gospel in the lives of other people. That, that's the mission. And, and He's saying that it all starts in prayer. If, if, if we're not steadfastly praying for the advancement of the mission of God, we almost will certainly not be on the right wavelength with God. We get there in those moments with Jesus. So we pray for things like laborers. Matthew 
pray earnestly uh, for, for laborers to be sent out. I have a friend of mine who has a, he, he has a silent alarm on his phone every single day. Matthew 9.38. Uh, so at 9.38 in the morning, the silent alarm goes off. It buzzes in his pocket. He pulls it out. And whoever he's with, he just prays for laborers in the kingdom. He doesn't care who he's with. He doesn't care if they're a Christian or not. He said, you know, the Lord tells me to pray for this. I'm going to pray for it. So that's one side of it. We're called to pray for God to send forth laborers. Not just to Lawrenceville, not just to Georgia, but to the ends of the earth. Have you ever thought, have you ever asked God, God, are you calling me to share the gospel to the ends of the earth? Now, I know in Atlanta we do have the, the privilege and the honor of having a global community in Gwinnett County. It's beautiful. I love it. But have you ever thought, have you ever asked God, God, have you, are you calling me somewhere else? Like, like maybe that I just wouldn't move because I got a promotion or I, I just wouldn't move because, you know, housing was cheaper over here or whatever it was, but God, you're actually sending me somewhere. Have you ever asked God that before? Because that's the thing that pleases His heart. But He also tells us to pray for boldness. So Acts chapter 4, Peter, uh, Peter and John have been preaching and they get locked up, which typically happens when they've been preaching. And, and so they're... You know, they get released on a technicality and, and they go out to the church, the first people they find, and, and they go and they, you would think that they would tell the church, hey, please pray for our safety. But you know what they pray for? They, hey, could you pray that we would be more bold? We were kind of cowardly back there. We were getting kind of scared. Could you pray that we might be more bold next time? That we might take a few more licks because of Jesus? That we might... We might be a little more direct with the Sanhedrin next time. And they also, we see in the Scriptures, we're called to pray for the lost. We are called to pray for the lost. So I mentioned this earlier, but secondly, i to speed this up a little bit here. Getting going. Um, be watchful in prayer. Notice that prayer is how you watch for God's movement and also the enemies. Jesus said in Matthew 26, pray so you don't fall into temptation. So we've kind of got this proactive, hey God, show us where you're moving. We know that you're at work in this community, in this relationship, because your word tells us you are, but also watch for the schemes of the enemy that are all around us. But, but he also tells them to pray for something else. He, he, he says, pray for open doors. The Scripture, the scripture says this, be watchful in it with thanksgiving and pray that God may open to us a door for the Word. So this idea of praying for open doors. Paul says, hey, I'm in prison. Uh, you could pray for God to release me if that's His will. Maybe I could be more effective there. But until then, I'm not going to waste these chains is what he says. I'm not, I'm not going to waste the fact that I've been put in prison because God clearly wants me here because He's sovereign over every situation, over every moment of your life. You, you might feel stuck right now, but you are exactly where God wants you. That's like, that's like kind of comforting, but kind of not, right? You might feel stuck right now, but you're exactly where God wants you. And the, my question to you as we think about what Paul has gone through is, are you going to waste it? Are you going to waste it just hoping for your joy to ride on a different set of circumstances? Or is there a way that you can contend for the Gospel and search for open doors through prayer? Right where you are right now. Right in your family situation. It just blew up at Christmas. You're, you're, you're scared to call grandma on her birthday. I, I don't know what it is for you. 
but look for the open doors where you can proclaim the goodness of God to wretched sinners. So many times we run away when we see sin, but those are the exact opportunities that we have to proclaim the grace of God. What is the, what is the circumstance that you're tempted to waste right now? That might just be a door waiting for you to walk through, but you'd only see it through prayer. I want to encourage you, as I said earlier, just to beat down the door of heaven with your prayers. Because the normal trajectory of the Christian is this, is that Christ is our life, and so how do we make the rest of the world see Christ? Now, we don't save anyone. That's, that's God's work. But His normal, the, kind of the, 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 the normal MO for Christians is that the Gospel goes forth through our lives. Not, not in these... Maybe not in these seemingly grandiose, just huge ways, but in these conversations that just kind of keep trickling out. There's this guy named Dawson Trotman that, that founded an organization called The Navigators. And, and one of the things that Dawson Trotman would do with his, um, with his discipleship group, <laughs> maybe discipleship, maybe New City Discipleship Group, so I don't start doing this. But anyway, he, he, um, he, he would say, okay, every week they would talk about, hey, who, who, are, who has got, where are the open doors? Who is God calling you to share, to proclaim, to boldly proclaim the gospel with? Not, not, in this, not in this just trite, overzealous, irresponsible kind of way, but just to really contend for the gospel with someone. Who is it? And, and he had this one guy um, that, that just really didn't see any open doors happening. And so they, the group prayed for him that first week. The second week, he comes back in. He says, you know, Dawson, I got nothing. And you know, Dawson's like, are you, are you sure you're praying? Are you asking God to do this? Because we know it's a part of his, his, his will to do this. And, and so they pray for him again. The third week he comes back, still nothing, Dawson. So what they do is they stop the meeting, they pull out a chair, they set him in the middle of it, and they literally lay hands on him. <laughs> and they say, God, please open his eyes, open doors so that he'll be able to share the gospel. Because they took it so seriously. Yet so often, as Christians, I think we are so... Um, uh, terrified to, to make Jesus Christ known. It might make family just kind of weird or it might, it, it, it might make work maybe a little, a little weird. And, and the question that we have to ask ourselves, and guys, I deal with this the same way that you do, except I have the added pressure of being a professional Christian, right? I'm totally joking, but... Um, is Jesus worth it to us? Is He worth it? That's the question we have to ask. And, and lastly, He says, just, just pray with thanksgiving. And I love what Augustine says here. He says, prayer increases our capacity for God's gift of Himself. You want more of God in your life? Seek Him in prayer. Seek that communion that you already have with Him in prayer. Because prayer is the work before the work. Our alignment with God in prayer gets our hearts ready to hear His voice, to respond to Him. Because chances are we'll do something other than what He wants, or we won't hear the very thing that He wants to do in our midst. So let's, let's go to this, the second part here. Just kind of the, it's okay, Ryan, we pursue in prayer. Then how do we respond? What do we do about it? Well, Paul says this in um, Colossians chapter 4, verses 4-6. through six. I'll read this quickly for us. That I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak to walk in wisdom with outsiders, those that are not yet believers, and, and make the best use of the time to let our speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So 
what we're doing here is we're drilling down and we're asking God to show us how we ought to walk in wisdom, how we ought to live in a culture where there are no dots, where we can't connect the dots of religiosity or church attendance. And so it's up to the church to go and be the church among the world. That's the culture we're in or quickly entering into now. It's not, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I think there's a lot of honesty that comes through this. It's just a different thing for us. And so the first thing he says is this, how do you walk wisely among not yet believers? Make the best use of the time. Make the best use of the time. I want to talk about two things here. Priority and urgency. Priority and urgency. So this sense of priority. Um, are, are you aware of how precious time is? Now chances are if you've recently been exposed to the reality of death, you are aware of how precious time is. Typically it takes that for us. He's saying that through prayer, we become more aware of uh, how precious time is. I love what Psalm 90.12 says. The psalmist says this, so teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. It reminds me of uh, when I was a teenager and the internet was first coming out. It was like a thing. You could only like get on it at school though. And they didn't like block all the sites yet. So we found this site called deathclock.com. Terrible idea to go to this thing, by the way. But anyway, you, you, the way it would work is there's some kind of algorithm or, or whatever, and you would type in your birthday, and it would tell you how many days you got left to live or whatever. And so, like, at first we looked at it, and we're like, ah, oh, what a joke. But I find myself, like, going back, like, every day I got into that class. So I'm like, how, how many hours do I have left here? And obviously there was no legitimacy to it whatsoever. But it just gave me this sense of, like, just priority and urgency in my mind that, uh, that I'm not going to live forever. And you think you are when you're you know, 14. So I'm not going to live forever. So there's a sense of stewardship and priority that we have to approach life with. Um, so as a diagnostic, maybe we ask ourselves this question, how are you spending your time? If our whole life belongs to Jesus, you know, nothing is just ours, me, myself, and mine, but it all belongs to Jesus, who gets priority on your calendar? Who um, Do you have moments in your life where you are intentionally pursuing people that really aren't life-giving to you? In fact, they, they're taxing to you because they don't have the Spirit of God living inside of them. And so it's just, it just takes a lot of your energy. I think we're drawn to people that are life-giving to us. We're not drawn to people that are taxing for us. But part of the mission is that our calendar is no longer our own. Do you, do you ever get in these places with people that are not yet believers where you are able to get to the gospel with them so when you think about priority so much of our culture which i love is built on this idea of just kind of relational evangelism if you want to call it that which just says hey i'm just going to build a relationship and see where it goes the problem is is that when you get to the point where you finally think you're ready to share the gospel which you never are by the way you never get there it's so uncomfortable because you've been hiding for so long i found in my life that that really the more upfront I can be, not like in a, hey, like I'm a Christian, are you kind of a way, but like, uh, but in a way where it's like, hey, like I take Jesus seriously. Like, like I, I love you, but I take Jesus seriously. And you got to know that about me. Um, like, I'm not saying you have to do that, but you got to know that I'm going to be talking about that. All right. That, that's going to be a thing for me. Now, you probably got your own things too, but we're just going to talk about that. I found that uh, the more that you can make that a priority of just being honest with people, uh, that, it's, that it's far more inviting than the prospect of Jesus juking somebody eight months into a relationship. 
oh, I didn't even know you were a Christian, dude. Yeah, I was just kind of disappearing, you know, every Sunday morning for, for a little bit. I, you know, I'm going for a run, you know. I, I think that we've got to be honest with others. Because Jesus uh, is worth it to us. And then secondly, there's this idea of making the best use of the time, this sense of urgency that, that we have. Um, Jesus instilled this into His disciples. Um, and it invites us to ask this question, how much time do you think you have? Or how much time do you think those people that you love have? And have you really told them what you wish you would have told them? If this was it. Now, I'm fully expecting that there's, there's a sense of conviction inside of you right now like there has been in me all week, okay? But for you, I don't want you to feel guilt. I want you to feel the, the Lord's good pleasure inviting you to participate in His mission with Him. In Luke 12, there's this, there's this story about this guy who's busy working and he's making tons of money and he says, um, he says, okay, I got it. I, I, I want to retire. Um, but the way, the way that you convert currency in this time is that it, you can either eat it or it has hair on it. That's what we've said before, right? That, that was the currency. That's how you knew you were rich. If you had a bunch of things with hair on them or you had a bunch of food. That's, that's how you know you're rich and you're good to go. That's what your 401k looked like back then. Um, so he says, listen, I want, I want to retire. I want to eat, drink, and be merry. So I, I got, I'm going to tear down these perfectly good barns and I'm going to build bigger ones so that I can store more food in there so I can be more comfortable. And then Jesus comes back at him and he says, you fool! Ouch. This night your soul is required of you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? Whose will they be? So, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I'm not necessarily talking about the money side of things, although that is definitely a part of it. Stewardship. But I'm talking about the sense of urgency that we live with. Not like a you know, kind of a death pace, you know, frantic nature about us, but the sense that like, we're living on borrowed time, especially if you're not yet a Christian. Like, and, and statistics tell me that there are folks in here that are not yet Christians, which is great. We're, we love that you're here, but you're living on borrowed time. What are you going to do with Jesus? Uh, secondly, this, speak, the, speak grace with clarity. So gracious words and clear words is what he says. He says, that I may speak clearly, let your speech be gracious and seasoned with salt. So in my engagements with others, what is the, my overarching posture with folks that are not like me? Is it, is it the sense of judgment or gossip or cynicism? Um, I struggle as someone who's like an ENTJ driver, you know, eight on the Enneagram kind of a guy, like just, just kind of all business serious kind of a guy. The staff team says I'm pretty serious sometimes, and Megan does too. So I, I just struggle getting like straight down to the point, you know, sometimes. And that comes across like not as like super winsome sometimes. And so I set a goal for myself last year that I wanted to be the most encouraging person in this church. So maybe you're like me. I, I don't I don't there's no way to tell if I have been, other than you guys coming and patting me on my back or anything like that. Uh, but maybe you are wired like me and you need to be extra intentional about that. Because you're all business and you need to think about how can I be gracious and encouraging with my words? How can, how can I die to myself and be a little less about business and a little bit more about grace and how I talk with others? Paul's saying basically you know, that, that our lives, the way that we live our lives as Christians ought to make other people's mouths water when they think about God. They, they ought to want to know more about Him. 
because of the way that we posture ourselves and live our lives and encourage others and show grace to others. When we taste Christ, Christ is tasteful through us. Paul says you've got to be intentional about that because if you're not aware, you'll, you'll just live a life that's full of cynicism. And that'll be the Gospel that you're preaching to the outside world. Secondly, he just has this focus about speaking clearly. Um, and what that, how that hit me was, was that there is an effort involved in proclaiming and demonstrating the Gospel to the world. Like we, we, We're not just you know, dropping John 3.16 bombs all over Lawrenceville from an airplane. But there is a clarity that is involved where we get to know someone and we declare the goodness of God to them in their particular story. And the beautiful thing is, is that if we really buy into this, all of you are wired way different. Some of you are like naturally really encouraging people. <laughs> you don't have to work as hard as I do. You're awesome people and people just want to be around you. What if God used that for His glory? What if you let Him into that? My tendency is to, to muddy up the gospel with religious activity. You know, hey, I'm a pastor, and I just hope they'll ask, oh, what does that mean? You know, sometimes I, well, sometimes I want them to ask, sometimes I don't. Uh, but, but the deal is, we got to get to Jesus in whatever the conversation is. Like, it's not gospel unless it's to Jesus. Lastly, uh, and I'm going to land the plane here, always be prepared to declare the gospel. He, he says this in, in Colossians uh, 4, verse 6. He says, um, so that you may be, know how you ought to answer each person. So how can I take advantage of every gospel moment in this world that God gives me? Every door that He opens for me? How can I be ready to have a response to those people in that situation as brief or as long as the relationship may be? It means that we have to prepare our hearts to be ready to receive those moments. And that starts with communing with Jesus through prayer. So I don't know where you're at today with all of this. I find it interesting that he would close up this whole book about this. You've tasted and you've seen how good Jesus is. You know that He's better. He's the way to life. I don't keep that to yourself. Go and give it away to others. So let's pray together and, and then we'll turn to the Lord's table. Father, thank You uh, for the goodness of, of Jesus. But I'm thankful that He struggled to find Your will, to live in Your will, and to seek Your face like we all do. But I pray for, for my friends in here um, who are living in a world without dots. But it's no longer as easy as it was to connect the dots because of the brokenness of this world. God, would You help us to love You with our minds? Would You help us to love You with our hearts to seek Your face? And would You align our will with Your will as we seek Your face? And Lord, I pray that the fruit of what we've talked about today would be eternal in the hearts and minds of so many people. God, I pray that we might be able to look back at this season, at this point in the life of New City Church. And so that was a turning point for us to see Your kingdom advance to the church in an ever-increasing manner. So God, would You meet us today as we turn and we, we think about the power of the Gospel in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name, Amen.